0: We just want to take a moment and say thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the good attendance, the good spirit in the services this morning, the special music. Lord, we're thankful that even though we may not have started out in life where we would like to, that you are a God of forgiveness and restoration. And Lord, that you you supply those things that we need to serve you your way. In this world in which we live, Lord, we're thankful that you don't lower your standards to meet us, but that you change us to meet your standards. We thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for the blessings that it gives and the instruction and wisdom that we can have from God's word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then the go ye kids, may go ye... The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter 5 one more time. Actually, we have tonight and possibly one or two more Sunday nights uh, to go through the Sermon on the Mount Uh, by my count. This is our 14th lesson. And what is amazing to me and what uh, we... Sometimes fail to understand is that Jesus did not take 14 presentations to get through this sermon he he spoke it in one afternoon to a crowd of people there and what they got was what they they got until this book of Matthew was written possibly As many as 30 years later, before people could actually read the Sermon on the Mount over again as we do and spend time going through each uh, of the parts of the sermon. And uh, uh, the approach uh, that we're taking uh, one, uh, I was looking through my notes several years ago. We went through the Sermon on the Mount word for word, verse for verse. It took us about 18 months on thursday night to go through the sermon on the mount uh piece by piece and phrase by phrase this time we're moving quite a bit faster uh but still not anywhere near as quickly as the children of israel received the sermon on the mount and what they understood and what they got in many instances is actually more than we do at spending all this time and uh so I want to encourage you, as Jesus introduced the sermon, He gave levels of blessing or states of blessedness. Uh, they're often called the Beatitudes. And as we work through these things, we have to realize that as Jesus was preaching, they're not unrelated and unconnected to the rest of the sermon. So so many times you have the Beatitudes and then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and this trip through... The Sermon on the Mount, what we've done is we've broken up the Sermon on the Mount and are using it to explain the Beatitudes. And so, we last week we finished our second lesson on the pureness of heart and how that that was uh, uh, the longest explanation as, as we covered uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 34. And tonight we're coming to the next to last here, and uh, we in chapter five, and verse ten it says blessed. I'm sorry, verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now I want to challenge us before we get into the definition and Jesus' explanation of what a peacemaker does and how a peacemaker should behave I I want to give you a challenge that this is where a lot of people want to start um, you know I, I just and I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard someone say oh pastor there's just some bad things going on in my family and I just want to be a peacemaker that's that's what I want to do and and uh, I always wondered what what the problem was, because they weren't making peace. It, it was just a bigger mess when they were done than when they, were, when they started. And uh, the problem is, if you don't start in verse 3 and work your way up to verse 9, you're never going to be a peacemaker. There is a foundation that has to be built, a relationship with God that has to be maintained. Otherwise, you're not going to be a peacemaker. You're just going to be a peacemeal maker. Uh, you're just going to be a messmaker, uh, not bringing peace. Because there's only one person that can truly bring peace to a situation. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you remember the strife and the struggle that was in your heart before you got saved? And how that you were fighting with yourself and you're fighting with the world and sometimes there was that terrible, mean preacher that just stuck his finger in your face and and you just felt so bad about your sin but you didn't know what you could do with it because you weren't ready to surrender it to God. You see, that's where it all starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And uh, I, I just feel like we don't get what poor in spirit is. Because we, we, living in America, do not understand the word poor. Because you're never really poor. Because you got Visa and MasterCard, right? Uh, you can always... Do something about the situation, it seems. And if that doesn't work, you can find the local loan shark and don't do that, please. But uh, people do. Uh, There's always someone out there willing to loan you money, but being poor means that you cannot get it. That you cannot obtain it. You cannot borrow it. It cannot be found. They say that two-thirds of the world's population goes to bed hungry every night. And that's not because they're not working and not because they're not trying. It's because there is not enough food. Now, I would like to challenge you that we can still grow enough wheat in Kansas to feed the whole world if we wanted to. The problem is not supply. It is not a closed system. I get so angry when I hear people, there's only so much out there. We have yet to begin to even tap the resources that are available to us today. How many of you remember the great famine that was in Somalia? This was several years back, and they were uh, talking about the food. There were bags of food rotting on the docks that had been sent over there by the United Nations, by the U.S. in many instances. It was the cruelty of man to his fellow man that makes people starve. It's the parents that will go out and rather have their Marlboro cigarettes or their Budweiser beer than that their children should have good food. I'll tell you, there are choices that are made. But when you surrender to God, that's when he starts the changing process. The second is, blessed are they that mourn. You know, our psychiatric hospitals are stuffed full of people who are trying to do something because they feel so guilty about the wrong things that they have done. Do you know that God has given us a blessing? It's called mourning. Sadness. You don't have to gin up mourning. It happens. You cannot stop it. But when we are faced with our sinfulness and God's holiness, our first result ought to be humility. Not going to the psychiatrist and spending three bucks an hour, three hundred dollars an hour, three bucks, yeah. Uh, $300 an hour for him to lie to us and make us feel better about things we ought to feel bad about. Let me tell you, you shouldn't feel good about certain things. When, When we fail, you shouldn't feel good about that. But don't go out and kill yourself. That's the devil's plan. God's plan is to bring my sin to him and find forgiveness at the foot of the old rugged cross. Can we say amen to that? You see, I can't help you deal with your problems until I've dealt with mine. If I'm standing here and I am so pressured in my mind and in my soul that I have no rest, how am I going to offer you rest? I remember as a teenager, and I I could chase this all night, and I don't want to, but it's just such an absolute illustration of this. um, a friend of mine said, hey, Pete, do you want some work? I got some work for you for a week helping a guy move. And, and uh, I said, uh, okay, sure, I'll, I'll work. And, and uh, so I met this guy at, at the music store there in home where he, my friend ran the music store. And, and uh, he was a psychiatrist from the local mental hospital. And I don't think I've ever met a more unstable, unstable, imbalanced man than this psychiatrist whose job was to help straighten out other people. The guy was an alcoholic. He was a chain smoker. And here I am, 16-year-old boy, and he's taking a swig, a bottle of booze, and offering it to me. He's got a whole basement full of pornography. And oh, take whatever you want. And I'm sitting here going, "I, I don't do that stuff. I d I don't want that garbage in my life. Who was the crazy guy? I'll tell you that 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 guy you and you know why? He still thought he had all the answers. Porn spirit. Mourning. I don't have the answers, but Jesus does. And that prepares you for the next one. It says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is operating under the authority of another. I'm never going to surrender my authority and and the momentum, the direction of my life to the Lord Jesus Christ until I realize what a mess I've made with my life before I got saved. Can we say amen to that? How poor decisions I made. And so now I'm going to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to reshape me from the inside out. That's why the next one is, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst, may I remind you, it's like mourning. Uh, you cannot, uh you don't say, oh well, you know, it's... uh Eight o'clock in the morning, and I, I probably ought to eat something. How many of you have that problem when you wake up? Or isn't it? Or is it yet? You wake up and say, "Wow, I'm so hungry. What's ready?" And then lunchtime—it's all over again. And, and oh, little Felix—he is incredible. He sees the food come out, and he just starts. Ah! Ah! Feed me, feed me. And you put it on the plate. and Uh, He wears about half of it. I'm sure that's got to be on Leland's side of the family. No. Uh, You don't have to train a baby to be hungry. Do you? But why do we feel as Christians we have to be trained to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because it's not natural to desire the things that God wants in our lives. He has to reprogram us, He has to write over us. And as we learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness, guess what? Then we can be merciful. You can't show mercy. Until you are in charge of the situation. And I'll challenge you, you can never be in charge of anything until God is in charge of the basic desires of your heart and of your life. Are we together here? Do you see the progression that is building? Then we get to pure in heart. Isn't it interesting how God waits until almost the very last to put the pure in heart? And then he does the peacekeepers, which turn to chapter 7, which we're going to get into tonight. You see, the biggest problem with people who want to settle other people's problems is they want to cut in the deal. How many of you have ever met anybody like that? I mean, you have all of these arbitrators out there. If you have a credit card, and you've gotten a letter in the mail saying, your credit card company is no longer going to allow you to take your disputes to court. You're going to have to settle it by an arbitrator. How many of you have gotten a letter like that and actually read what it said? Uh, most people don't. But what that simply means is that... There's, you're gonna, instead of going before a judge, you're gonna sit in a room with a guy who claims to be a lawyer who isn't, because if he were, he'd be in the courtroom making big bucks instead of doing this, and he's gonna settle all your problems for a cut. You go to bankruptcy court and say, I, I can't pay my bills. You better get ready to pay the lawyer. Isn't that the way it works? You see, that's the way the world solves problems. If you're not pure in heart, you're going to be just like the world, looking for what you can get out of other people's problems. I haven't done it yet. I'm still threatening here. But the most wicked person in the world today is the person who is trying to get to heaven by their good works. You know why? Because they need your problems so they can do their good works to earn their points with God. Now, how, how evil is that, my friend? I'll tell you, if you want to help somebody, you've got to get your hands out of their pot. Amen? Amen? you got to stop looking for what you can get. You know, there are some people out there, they get a thrill out of making a deal. Uh, that That is just their thing. And there's other people, they're eBayers. And a- every time they make a sale, it's, yes, score! Ah! And, and they get so excited about that that they can't control themselves. Everything is just the next sale. How much did you make when you cleared all? Oh, I made 50 cents. And you're so, oh, I made the deal. You don't understand. Just like the president. I made the, no, not just like the president. Oh, my. If your heart's not pure, you're not going to make peace. You're going to make problems. And so we come to chapter one in uh, chapter seven, verse one, and Jesus begins to explain this process here of being a peacemaker, one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. "Judge not that ye be not judged." Uh, I'll tell you how many times I've had people say, "Well don't you tell me I'm wrong, preacher, Judge not, lest ye be judged." Hey, wait a minute. If God says something is sin, I'm not judging. God already has. Can we say amen to that? That's not what this verse is talking about. You see, let's read the rest of it here. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eyes, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say unto thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. I probably should have went down to the shop and grabbed some of this stuff. How many people know what a moat is? A moat is a speck of sawdust. How many of you have ever been working or something you get a speck of dust in your eye? I'll tell you what, that is not a comfortable thing, especially if you wear contact lenses. Uh, it can actually be downright dangerous. You get stuck to your contact lens and it can scrape your cornea. You, be, you must be... Very, very careful. But how many of you are familiar with the 2x4? That is the smallest beam. Now, when we were doing some work at Union, we were working with 4x12s. That's a board that's 4 inches thick and 12 inches high. Uh, Those beams that we had to replace were 12 by 12s. They weighed 40 pounds per linear foot. And uh, it was over 11 foot tall to put it into the stand there to hold things in place. Now, here's the word picture that Jesus is using, using here. He says, don't pick the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye when you have a 12 by 12 sticking out of your head. That's a beam. That would be kind of hard to do now, wouldn't it? And, of course, this is what we call hyperbole. Extreme exaggeration. Jesus believed in it. He used it often. And uh, it it helps get the point across, does it not? I mean, uh, if you could take even a two by four, which is two uh, inch and a half uh, thick and, and three and a half inches uh, in, in uh, width. And it could be 10 or 12 foot long and just strapped it on the side of your head. Now try to do anything. Uh, most of us couldn't even move our head with a board that heavy. Uh, let alone it sticking in you and all the problems that are attendant there. Here's what it's saying. How many of you have ever looked at another person, a fellow Christian, even someone in the church, and you said, wow, they're having problems. I I think I could help them. Now, don't raise your hand if you've done that. But that's what this passage is talking about. How many of us have misjudged other human, be- other human beings? We have looked at someone and we said, they ought to be dealing with that better, and we found out that we only knew a small part of what was going on. This is what this passage is talking about. Do you know what? You cannot make peace... You cannot help another human being find peace in their heart if you think you're their Savior trying to straighten things out. Can't do it. You see, there is only one Savior. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm going to help another person find peace in this life, There's only one place I'm going to direct you, to Jesus. I've often said, my job as your pastor is that of a signpost. I better be pointing in the right direction. That's what I'm going to stand accountable to God. But if you're going to have peace, you're going to find it when you meet Jesus, just you and him. That's where, that's where the issues are solved. How many you say, that's how I got saved? Could you say amen to that? And, and I've tried to say this so many ways, and I, I hate to be repetitious, but I, I want you to get this. How you get saved is how you live for the Lord. How did you get saved? I surrendered everything to Jesus Christ and trusted only in Him. You know how I'm going to live for the Lord? Surrendering everything to Jesus and just trusting in Him. How many of you remember the peace that you found the day you trusted Jesus as your Savior? I remember years ago, and I've used this example more than once as well, but there was a preacher, his name was Curtis Hudson, and boy, I mean, he could preach... A salvation message like you have never heard, I remember sitting there in the pews at Cleveland Baptist, and he was preaching, and I, I was wishing I believed I could I was wishing I could lose my salvation just so I could get it again. I mean, he had so much excitement, and I said, What's wrong with this picture? God doesn't want us living in an endless cycle of just getting saved over and over again. And I realized that that joy that God gave me the day I got saved is mine each and every day as I stopped trying to live my way and surrendered to live His way. How many of you have known that in your life? Could you say amen to that? That's what Jesus is talking about here when He says, Judge not, lest you be judged. You see, you can't straighten anybody out because you can't straighten yourself out. What you need to do is go to Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is the judge. Now, we're not talking about calling sin, sin, because God does that in the Bible. And... I have yet to meet an honest person living in a relationship outside of marriage with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or uh, today they say significant other whatever you want to put in there. God designed marriage between one man and one wife for one life. That, that's how God designed the physical relationship. And if you're experiencing anything outside of that, I have to tell you, according to the Bible, you're living in sin. That's not judging. If you're going to get that thing right, you've got to go to Jesus because he's the only one that can forgive you. He's the only one that can give you strength to stop living in sin and start living for God. Can we say amen to that? But it's not my duty to be primarily concerned with your sin. It's my duty to be primarily concerned with my sin. Are we still together on this? And we need to encourage one another to draw close to Jesus because he's the only judge. And he's the only one. They can determine and help us get past this thing. And it just simply says, let's not be hypocritical. Let's not go around and nitpick other people's lives because we got enough problems with our own life. You know what the other word for this is called? Busybody. How many of you have ever known a busybody? Oh my. What the world needs less is another busybody. How many would agree with that? That's what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about living in sin, that's taking care of many other places here. What this is talking about is fine-tuning our service for God. The only person who's capable of doing that is the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's what a peacemaker does, is he directs another soul to Jesus Christ. A peacemaker gets himself out of the equation because I can't make peace. I have to solve the problems in my life. And you have to solve the problems in your life. But if I'll introduce you to Jesus, He can solve the problems in your life. Amen? Now, look at the next verse. Verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Now, again, Jesus is using this tool of hyperbole, of extreme exaggeration. Real pearl, a real true pearl, natural pearl, is one of the most valuable gems we know. Ounce for ounce, they're worth as much or more than most diamonds are. Because most of our pearls today are not natural. Uh, I met a guy one time and, and uh, he had a job. He had a little side business. It was making pearl blanks for the uh, pearl companies. And he would ship them to China and Japan and other parts of the world where the oyster beds were. And they would have divers that would take these little, that just look like a marble domain, and they would actually dive down under the water and open up the oyster and put that in there, and the oyster then would coat it with several layers of the pearl, and they those are what are called cultured pearls. See a real pearl, if you've ever seen natural pearls, often they're not round they're they're shaped oddly because it's just a speck of sand or something that gets in the oyster, and he begins to coat that, or she begins to coat that I- irritation. A round, natural pearl. To give you an idea, Cleopatra, queen, uh, uh, the queen of Egypt, uh, in her intrigues with Caesar and Mark Antony and all of that, she had a pearl, a natural pearl that you could hold in your hand. With that one pearl, she bought an entire army and financed an entire war campaign with one pearl. Now, if you had a $5,000 string of pearls, which wouldn't be that crazy. They get much more expensive than that. And you fed them to some wild dogs running in the street. Remember, these are Jewish people. They didn't keep dogs. Dogs were unclean. These were wild animals that scavenged the countryside for food. Do you think that the wild dogs would be satisfied with those pearls? Or as soon as they realized that there was no nutritional value, they would start looking for your leg or... Uh, whatever part of the anatomy they could get their teeth into. How about that? that? That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you don't feed pearls to swine or to dogs, because they'll eat them right up. And I'll tell you, there are few things more vicious than feral hogs or wild pigs. And again, these are Jewish people Jesus is preaching to. They didn't have domesticated pigs. These were wild animals that roamed the countryside. And let me tell you, a, a uh, you, if you ever down in Florida, there are certain places there where the wild pigs roam. You better stay out of there, especially after dark. Because they would just as much eat you as anything else they could find. Uh, it's a, it's a, they're dangerous animals. And Jesus is using this thing. We don't take that which is most valuable and feed it to pigs or dogs because they're not going to be satisfied with it, and they're still going to attack us. You know what Jesus is saying here? If you're going to be a peacemaker, don't try to Christianize the world in which we live. Don't expect unsaved people to live or understand the holiness of God. How many of you saved people here tonight would say, I truly understand God's holiness? Or how many would say, with me, your pastor, I could use a little improvement in understanding God's holiness? Would you raise a hand to that? Yeah, that's where most of us are. You cannot expect unsaved people to live like Christians should. They're not going to understand. If you want people to understand, if you're going to be a peacemaker, it's not outside reform that helps a person. It is an inward relationship with God that is the basis for helping a person understand how they ought to live. Could we say amen to that? This is part of the problem, part of the conflict that we have here in the United States is there was a time when the majority of people who lived in this country believed in the God of this book. And they made laws that were a reflection. That's why all businesses used to be closed on Sundays. Because they said, well, Sunday is the Sabbath, that's the day to worship God. No, Saturday is the Sabbath. Is it a bad thing that businesses should be closed on Sundays? Uh, I don't think it is. I think it's a good thing. It wouldn't hurt you Sunday to turn off the TV set. To turn off all of the news and, and to spend a little extra time together as a family, together with this book. Amen? It wouldn't hurt you a bit, but trying to make that a law... That's not going to solve any problems, now is it? You see, if I'm going to be a peacemaker, I have to realize that I can't take that which is holy and shove it down the throat of an unsaved person and expect them to enjoy it. I have to bring them to Jesus and let Jesus work them through, poor in spirit. Mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Then a pure heart. And then guess what? We can be on the same team trying to bring peace to the world in in which we live. By the way, this has much political application. You want to go to the Middle East and try to get some of these rabid ISIS people to put down their arms and stop killing Jewish people? They can't understand. There is nothing in their mind or their heart that allows them to compute and understand that it's not good to kill people. The Palestinians in their school system from the time they're old enough to read, teach them how to count. With pictures of body bags and say there's a Jew in each bag, and and had uh, and killed four Jews. How, draw the body bags. That's how that's how Yasser Arafat taught these kids. Now they're grown up and they're adults, and you wonder why they hate. And you're going to go over there and say, well, let's just be nice and hold hands. Uh, you're the one that's going to get shot up full of holes and that's what's happened to a lot of those people that go over there saying we can, no you can't solve those problems until those people find the peace that only Jesus can give them and they find repentance for the hatred in their hearts you can't solve hatred you can't make people love each other only God can do that that's what this verse is talking about. Now we move on. And it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now again, people just love this verse. Well, you know something? I could use a new car... I'm just going to ask, and Jesus is going to receive. Wrong. That's not what this passage is. Wait a minute. What's the context? Being a peacekeeper. You got an issue in your life where there's no peace, where someone is attacking you. How many of you have experienced that? Maybe they just hate you because they think you stole their job. How are you going to deal with that? I'm going to ask God to help me bring peace to the situation in, I'm living in. Do you think Jesus would answer that prayer, my friend? I promise you He wants to. But sometimes there are things that you have to do. That's why the next one is seek. You know, you cannot just well, we'll pray about that and see, make sure it works out. Hey, sometimes you've got to go seek. Sometimes you've got to knock on that door. You say, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? Well, just start through the process. Asking. Then start seeking it. And then start knocking on those doors. You say, well, I'm just so afraid. I'll bust the door down and be out of God's will. I doubt it. If the Lord doesn't want you walking through the door, He can solve that problem. Amen? Our biggest problem is we sit on our blessed assurance and do nothing. And that's not what God wants us to do. That's not how we bring peace to a situation. Do you know that so many times, what did God tell Paul when he said, I have this thorn in the flesh, and I want it removed from me. God said, I'm not taking it away, Paul. That thorn in the flesh is staying there. That pain is going to be your companion. You're not losing the problem. But you're going to get my grace in enough quantity to overcome the problem." You see, true Christianity is not the absence of problems, my friend. It is God's grace to have the victory through them. And this asking and seeking and knocking is not just so you can get what you want. It is so that you can be the peacemaker in the situation so that God can use you to bring peace to a conflict and actually see some problems solved. Amen? Am I in the right church? We still got one more. Now, look what it says here. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Here's the second part of this. Would you stop accusing God of being selfish? Would you stop accusing God of withholding from you what you need to serve him? Oh, dear Lord, just the least little bit of your blessing, you know. And I've been guilty of this. I remember praying Lord, the money that we need for union is very small for you. The Lord doesn't like it when we treat him that way. God is, and God is good. We don't presume upon him and tell him what he's going to do. But, you know, as a father, sometimes I do not answer every request my children have. Especially when they get about 16, start getting close. You can get a learner's permit when you're 15 uh, years old in about six months. Hey, Dad, can I start learning how to drive? No. You think you're getting behind the wheel of the church van? You got something else coming, son. You got to grow up a little bit. You see, sometimes parents withhold certain things until there's enough maturity to handle it. Amen. We need to stop accusing God of being anything less than good, especially when he does things that we don't quite agree with. Maybe we got to go back to number one and stop judging God. You see, we need to pray. And we need to understand that God is good, and He will give us what we need. It, Luke 12 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Read Romans chapter 8. He gave His only begotten Son on the cross. What wouldn't God give? What hasn't He already given for us? You know who needs the work? I do. You do. But I'll promise you this. I've never prayed for anything that was necessary to serve God that God didn't say yes to. If you want to serve God with your life, He will make a way for you to be obedient to Him. And by the way, If you're at peace with God, isn't everything around you more peaceful? That's being a peacemaker, my friend. And then we get to the golden rule. Do unto others before they have a chance to do unto you. No, I'm sorry, that is the uh, modern perversion of the golden Rule. The the golden rule in verse 12 says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Read Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. It says, Thou shalt not hold any grudges and love your neighbor as yourself. Can I ask you a question? Is that within the realm of human capability to love your neighbor as yourself? The only way that's going to happen is you've got to get enough God in you to override who you are and what you are. Does that sound like Christian maturity? It it does to me. You see, the peacemaker is not looking for himself. And, and I've tried to bring this out in so many other... I, this was the thought behind in the, the phrase in the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness, was being able to order my own life and have freedom in my life to do what not only benefits me, but benefits those... Around me, do you realize that if I owned a business and I worked in that business and I paid people a good salary so that they would work good, guess what? am I stealing from them because I'm the evil employer? Well, if you listen to a social justice freak, that's what they'll tell you. But when you work for somebody who pays you a good wage, who benefits? Everybody. Isn't that the way it works? You see, the the phrase that people use as they try to explain this, a rising tide lifts all the ships. And what Jesus is talking about here in this golden rule, it's called the royal law in James chapter 2. But if you read James chapter 2, it says, If thou keep the royal law, love thy neighbor as thyself, thou shalt do well. What's the next verse say? Does anybody know? But if you... Let's go there. Let's just get that. The word is escaping my memory. I looked at it. And I can't think of the, the, the word there. James chapter 2, find Hebrews, then it's James, verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. There it is. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. You know what that respect of persons is? That goes back to the first thing of judging one another. I think you're a better person than you are. You know what? The peacemaker doesn't do that. The peacemaker brings everybody to Jesus because he's the one that can solve the problems. Amen? The peacemaker has in his mind and in his motivation a built-in system that says, I'm not going to do what is only best for me or what is in my best interest. I'm going to do what's best for the city in which I live. By the way, that's the reason why I started the Open Door Bible Baptist Church in October of 1992, because it was the best thing that I could do for New York City. The Lord's allowed us to be here for over 25 years. And you know what? People have found Jesus as their Savior. You know what that's done? It's brought peace in their lives. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers. I'll tell you what, you want to have God's blessing in your life, go find somebody and bring them to Jesus. There will be nothing that blesses your soul any more than that. That's why I often call blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the soul winners. Because that's what a peacemaker really is. It's someone who brings another person to a better understanding of God because that's the only place you're going to find peace. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you made that promise several months ago that we talked about and said, I'm going to pray about that, that God would use me to bring one other person to church this year? Remember that? You know what tonight would be a good time to do? To say, God, I, I want to remember that promise I made and I, I want to start praying about that more. And if you didn't make you weren't here when we did that, guess what? There's still time for you to get in get in on it. Amen. The year's not done yet. Lord and you say, What if I fail and don't bring anyone? Well, let's start on next year then. Do you realize what would happen if just the adult members of our church were to bring one person into the fellowship of our church before the end of the year? We'd probably have 150 people on Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be fun? I'll tell you what, we'd have to run the air conditioners all the time. But that's okay. one we sing... Man, we'd vibrate the windows in the panes. I don't think that'd be a bad thing. Think the Lord would be honored with that? I think He would be. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, it's Father's Day, isn't it? How many of you remember this morning's sermon? Children, chastening, character, and choice. I remember because I have my notes up here. I remember because I wrote them, actually. But listen, you want to be the children of your Father which is in heaven. What are you going to do? You're going to bring other people to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we're thankful that you want us to be peacekeepers, peacemakers. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to look past ourselves and our interest and our abilities and our everything. And Lord, that we would get enough of your love in us that we can love other people. And that we can help other people come to Jesus and know Jesus as as the Bible talks about. That our Christianity would not be just in word, but in word and deed. That our lives would reflect the fact that God is our Father. Lord, let none of us skip the process or try to skip steps in the growth that is necessary to reach this level of true Christianity, of being a peacemaker. And Lord, that you would use each one of us to bring somebody to Jesus. For that's the only way that anyone can find peace. Before we finish that prayer, we'll take just a moment here. Maybe you, just sitting there at your seat, need to... Remind yourself and ask the Lord once again to use you as a peacemaker.